Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus Time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. And welcome in another edition of 5th Avenue Faceoff. Hi, I'm Chris Mack from the Fan Morning Show on Sports Radio 93.7 The Fan. And alongside to start the show every uh, a couple times every week, as he usually is, our friend Eric Tangrady, at E-Tangrady on Twitter, former Pittsburgh Penguin, Winnipeg Jet, Montreal Canadian, and illustrious hockey history. And actually, a question about that that won't get us started, but that I want to ask you as it relates to something the Penguins did this weekend, Eric. First of all, how are you? How was the weekend? Great. No, I'm good. Everything was good. It was a busy, busy weekend, but, you know, a lot of hockey on on tap and a lot of huge news that came out as well. So uh, what looked like it was going to be a quiet Sunday in, uh, in, in the house turned into mayhem in the hockey world. So that was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And we'll get into the moves that people are making as the deadline rapidly approaches. It's up over the horizon now and coming head on for us. Um, but I wanted to start with what we got from the pens this weekend, which was an uneven performance, even in a win at St. Louis, but a win nonetheless, right? Uh, uneven, but a win. Uh, and then what was just a spectacular performance against the Lightning, a huge second period uh, that all started with Evgeny Malkin's breakaway goal coming out of the box. So when you look at this weekend uh, on the whole, Eric, is, is what you saw sort of the the heart transplant, the lung transplant the Penguins needed at this point the way they were playing? Or did they just simply maybe tourniquet this thing and tie off the wound and stop the bleeding? Where are we on the spectrum of the Penguins getting back to what we think they should be? Yeah, the, the, the optimist side of me says it was great to be able to consistently, in my opinion, put two performances together. Right. Uh, you know, that first period in St. Louis was that was dominating a team that is supposed to show up, supposed to dominate, supposed to win. Um, Obviously it was a little bit more hard fought than it probably should have been um, against St. Louis, but they got two points and that's most important. And then they come home and respond uh, the way they did about it from Tampa and build off of that confidence. Um, That's the consistency moving forward. And that's an encouraging sign. Now the, the pessimistic side of me is all I can think about is that game in St. Louis of, with here's a Stanley Cup winning goaltender in Jordan Bennington, who's probably had an off year. And still, that Stanley Cup championship pedigree keeps that team in the game way longer than they should have been in that hockey game. And then the flip side of last night is 
all right, if Vasilevsky's in there, you know, is he doing that type of same momentum changing where the Pens are just dominating and dominating and he's making save after save till Tampa finds a way to get back in the hockey game? All I can get attached to is the goaltending in both of those situations for the visiting team. But, yes, right. great back-to-back efforts, um, consistency. Let's see, you know, moving forward, I think that's exactly what that te- the team needs to do to win is contributions from all four lines equally um, being able to throw anybody over the board at any point and have success. So is this the kind of performance that I'll put you in Ron Hextall's shoes, which I've done several times over the last couple of weeks. Does this give you hope that exactly what Hextall has been saying for two months, which is I like my team on paper. They just need to perform up to expectations. Does this give you hope that that can happen down the stretch and into the playoffs and that that's enough and you can stand pat or are you still, if you're Hextall, working the phones, looking for something, anything to add to the mix in the bottom six? I think he has to be working the phones, but I, I think he's made it very clear that he's not going to do anything um, that is out of his comfort zone. And I'll be honest, I, throughout the last couple of weeks, all I've been like kind of saying with friends and, and people in the sports world is like, man, Tanner Janelle would be a huge addition to this hockey okay. team. But looking to the hall that they just paid, what Tampa just right. paid for him, I'm like, no way on earth can you give up a first, second prospect, fourth, fifth round pick for a bottom six um, sandpaper type player. So there I, I stand wrong. Like I was like, let's go after him. He's a perfect fit for Pittsburgh. But if that's the price, um, maybe I'll just admit that I'm wrong and take a step back. And, and, and that's maybe something that the management knows that we don't is the price premium for, for rentals or even the guys for the future is way too high. Well, yeah, it's interesting to me because the the Timo Meyer deal, I, I would have expected that kind of haul for Meyer. Now, the the Devils didn't have to put up as much. Um, it was more of a, I guess, if you want to call it a hockey trade, a lot of players going back and forth in that deal. But what struck me as interesting was something Julian Breezebois said this morning, and I don't have the exact quote in front of me, so I apologize for that. Oh, hold on. I do have it. I just found it. Um, this is exactly what he said, Breezebois, when he was asked about the haul that they had to give up in Tampa to get a guy who's got five goals this year, although he's coming off a 24-goal season last year. He said, at the end of the day, I know there's a perceived value of those picks, but we have a really good idea of what the actual value is. Individually, you go, what's that first-round pick worth or second-round pick and so forth and so on? We look at what it's worth to us based on the odds of those picks turning into good NHL players down the road. I'd rather have the good player right now for this season and next to help this group win now. The odds of that player necessarily turning into a good player, they're not great all the time. And none of the players we were going to draft with those picks is going to help us win this year or next. So Breezeball basically says it's kind of like the the Rams model of F those picks, right? In the NFL, (laughs) it's I got... Look, I've got an aging team of stars that I've been able to find just the right piece year after year. You know, Goodrow last year. You can go back year after year after year. The Lightning always add just the right guy, the just the right sandpaper grit guy like you're talking about with Janot. And he says, what the hell do I need those picks for now when I've got a team that I think can win the cup? Is that – or do we have too many GMs that are in what feels like the opposite camp of, no, I've got to protect my picks? Or – is that more – do you think we're getting that from Ron Hextall maybe just because of the situation that the Penguins have been in where they've dealt so many first-round picks? Yeah, I think that's probably the 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 easy way is to just say, I don't want to give up assets, the future, the prospects. But, I mean, I love that quote. I mean, you, you talk about a fan base who wants to believe in a GM, obviously as the sample size of what they've done in the past. But he's absolutely right. If you're looking at uh, a 25th to 32nd pick in the first round, uh, mm-hmm. and then you're looking at those exact picks in the second moving forward, like he's absolutely right. I mean, you probably have – very similar odds to find a diamond in the rough in the fifth pan out than you would to have a guarantee at 27th overall. And I I think that's where we kind of sit in what our opinions are is like, if the Penguins are worried about the future and draft capital, like let's just sell and move forward and and go after that top 15, top 10 type pick. But if you're looking from 15 to 30, as he mentioned, they may have more information about this year's draft. Like, of course it may be, it, it seems to me a lot like Bedard or bust from the names I'm hearing in this draft, like the drop off from one to two is like astronomical. So for him, yeah. Like, you know, with that lineup, with the different types of players, he's going to be playing with at Tampa. He showed he can score 24. He may be a 30 goal guy. And that to them has its own value. So 
that's kind of the mentality of where I don't feel like there's a middle ground. Like we talked about, like just being a team that's made the playoffs for 17 straight seasons. Like that's not good enough. Like it's either let's go or let's not. Well, and you know, you talk about diamonds in the rough. You look at two guys that have been cornerstones of the last couple of cups as they built around Crosby and Malkin and Latang. It was a 77th overall pick in Jake Gensel, an 80th overall pick in Brian Rust. Those weren't first rounders. So there you go. That in and of itself kind of proves the point you're making. And I think the greater point that Breezeball was making is we overvalue these, these nameless, faceless picks at times. That being said, you said it's hard to find middle ground. Would Jacob Chikrin be that middle ground? Because, yes, it's an ad for now. It certainly is. He's a good young defenseman who you could instantly put on the top pairing with Chris Letang. At the same time, he's a guy who can play with Letang through the last few years of Letang's career and maybe become a cornerstone for you on that top pairing going forward. Is that the kind of move that, I guess, as best as you can at this point with what Hextall's got, split the difference, so to speak? Yeah, it, again, it just becomes what's the return then. But mm-hmm. I think he would be an unbelievable addition because it's some youth, um, someone that can, you know, alongside Chris Letang doesn't have to be the guy that just goes. He's that, you know, first pass, responsible, two-way, 200-foot defenseman. Right. Um, obviously, he would be an ideal situation. But again, we looking at this market, it's just I, I would rather, I think, see them try to look for a couple more uh, rental-type type deals of guys that can – be inserted in the bottom six because realistically the guys that they've brought in in the past have had a hard time. I, I don't know what it is with Sid and, and Gino, unbelievable players, but they've had a very hard time of having these trade deadline guys just come in for half a season and get chemistry. You know, we're looking way, way back. But when you look at like the Aginla trade, um, mm-hmm. some of the trades in, in around those years when they would make that late deadline deal, like it just didn't seem like there was much chemistry and, and the value to get those rentals in the top six wasn't really as beneficial. I love the idea of finding a top four D and maybe a bottom six forward that you can pay more of a rental price versus a long-term vision uh, a player. It, it certainly doesn't make sense for the Penguins, but given the fact that we talked about the trade market as a whole, it seems like the only big shoe left to drop at this point, really big shoe, is Patrick Kane to the Rangers. Um, just what does that do for, in your opinion, Meyer to the Devils, Uh, We've seen the Hurricanes kind of play. They've been quiet, but who knows what happens for them between now and Friday afternoon. But Meyer to the Devils, Kane to the Rangers, you know, Horvat to the Islanders a few weeks ago. It feels like everybody in the Metro is gearing up unless you're really, I I think the the Panthers have kind of taken a step back. The Caps have understood where where they're at and they're sort of retooling on the fly. Should the Penguins be in there with the Devils and the Rangers of the world trying to improve themselves? Or should they, should they be there with the cap? Should they be a, a, in a caps mold at this point um, and, and understanding, hey, maybe it is time to sort of circle back around? I think so. I think it, they can still push and, and be proud of the season they had if they squeeze into the playoffs with this team. But I think if there's pieces that you're going to get substantial returns for uh, as far as value, you have to consider those at this point. I mean, Boston has just greatly improved. Tampa's improved. Like you said, like the Rangers, the, the, the devils, like we're not talking like just a depth guy here. Like we're talking huge, huge trades to bring in guys that substantially make their hockey club better um, with already a foundation, the built being like, we're, they're a top contender as it is. So, you know, I just don't like the mentality of like really feeling confident in this group. Obviously you mm-hmm. have to say that with, with your team, but if something were to come up where you can move an asset for a heavy haul, I, I'm all for uh, taking that mold and, and trying to move and push forward. Is, is Patrick Kane enough to put the Rangers past the Bruins in your opinion? I don't, I really don't. I, I just feel like, I don't think, and I think Patrick Kane, world-class player, I don't know how he meshes in as the first time in his career being looked at as like a supplemental player. I mean, he's a 20-minute-plus-a-night guy. Can he take a step back and play 15 minutes? Yeah, sure, he's going to get all the touches on the first power play unit. Um, But I I just don't know if that is the right move because of their lineup as it is right now. Like, I I watched him play last night. It was – it's incredible. I mean, they're – their top four defensemen are solid. Their top two lines. Now we're talking about somebody getting bumped down the lineup. Like, Trocek's been amazing. Pittsburgh kid. Um, 
now he probably comes off the top unit. You you really disrupt chemistry in a locker room when you try to bring in someone like that. How you really is there's no sample size on how he's going to mesh in a new environment because he's never been moved before. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're right. It, it, they do have a couple pieces here and there. Your 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 Criders and Goudreaux's who maybe can. You'd hate to take Crider off of one of the top two lines, but you know if you're looking for a guy who would sort of play the team first role and maybe accept uh, a, a, a role on maybe a, a line with Lafreniere or whatever. But it, 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 it cert- sure as hell makes them a whole hell of a lot deeper. I'll say that. And that's what you're going to need to compete with Boston, definitely, in the Eastern Conference. So I wanted to ask you a question because I think there are some interesting – there's some interesting uh, alignment between his story and yours somewhat. Certainly the expectations, I don't think, on you were as high as they were on Kasperi Kapanen when you each came into the league, granted about eight years apart. But I think it's interesting that he's at a point right now in his career, age and experience-wise, similar to when you were shipped off to Winnipeg, right? And the the expectations were probably on you, Eric, a little too high from Penguin fans when you came here. Not to say that we shouldn't have expected good hockey from you, but I think because of the deal you were involved in, people maybe expected more. And we're maybe a bit unfair in those expectations at times. And I'm curious if, in your opinion, Kasperi Kapanen could have done anything else or how could he have handled it? Now, granted, he he spent time in Toronto, too, and we all know how harsh the spotlight is in Toronto. And then a second tenure here with the Penguins. (sighs) Did he put maybe too much pressure on himself? Did he put not enough pressure on himself? And... It, just talk about, I guess, how difficult it can be to live up to expectations, not just in Pittsburgh, but in Canadian cities where they live and die and eat and breathe hockey. And just what it's like trying to live up to those and whether you sometimes put undue pressure and expectations on yourself as well. Yeah, that's exactly it. I just, you know, I just pulled up his stats from his career and it, his best his best year as a pro was the last the last year of his entry level contract. So when you talk about maturity as a player, um, you know, that's the first time he gets a, we'll call it a big boy contract extension. And then there's this pressure when you're on your entry level contract, it's, you know, money's not even in your mind because it's just already set in stone. This is the baseline of what you're supposed to make. Now you have some success. Now you start to make some NHL money and a lot of outside pressures come with that. Um, Just the problem I think I saw with him as he's progressed is it just didn't seem like every year there was just improvement. You talk about Gensel, you talk about Rust, like those guys had successful seasons. And then the next year you're just like, wow, I didn't even think they had another level. Here's another level. Now they're contributing in the playoffs. Um, I I would say the biggest flaw for, for Kapanen, and I don't know if it has a lot to do maybe with background of already you know family being established and Mm -hmm. just being put on kind of a little bit of a stage before he you know he's actually made it was I just didn't see that work ethic coming into camp of like I still have something to prove it's like I got paid all right I'm good enough and that can catch up with you quick in, in the NHL right when you think you have it right when you think you've got it figured out you have a bad couple of weeks and it gets taken right from you. So uh, situation probably a little bit different um, for me in the sense of I never had that type of success that he had. But when he had that success, like instead of trying to push forward, not be, I just felt like a lot of people just saw him being content because how do you go from a 21, 22 year old kid setting career highs to every single year to this point, having a, a drop off when you getting paid top six dollar to play with top six players and some really, really good hockey teams. Yeah, I, I, I figured you'd have a, a really interesting perspective on that. And I think that's a great way to look at it is when you hit big going into the second contract that that can that can affect people, uh, whether we we'd like to believe it wouldn't because we all tell ourselves, well, no, I wouldn't be affected by that. But it does. It affects some people in different ways. Real quick, before I let you run, um, I kind of broke it down in my head these next three weeks. And each week is almost like an individual storyline for this team, the Penguins. They're down south this week, right? Nashville, Tampa, the deadline, and then a game uh, in South Florida against the Panthers. Next week, they come back. They got a homestand against Metro Division opponents, Jackets, Isles, Flyers. Following week, St. Patty's week, they've got three games against the Rangers sandwiched around one at home against the Canadiens. So, I think it's safe to say, and I don't know how you would approach this from your perspective as a player, if there's any way you'd ever look that far out and ahead to things on the schedule, or if you just take it 
you know, maybe two or three at a time. But in three weeks, I think we'll know exactly what this team is and exactly what our expectation level should be for the postseason. Absolutely. I, I look at the same thing that you're looking at, and it, it almost tells me, like, March 19th is pretty much the day that yep. looks like we're going to figure out like where we are um, as the standings. And it's a shame it's too late to be buyer or seller, but that will mm-hmm. be this next stretch of games. And as a player, all you can do is look at, look to the next game. You can't look that far ahead, but uh, as fans, as, as media members, I think that's the day where you're going to find out. And there'll be probably some hard questions for management, for coaching uh, of their decision-making on that date of like where things are and where, what things look like for the future. If nothing else, it was nice to see guys like Carter, Bluger, Dumoulin kind of get off the schneid against Tampa. Uh, For them, like you pointed out earlier, to win the second half of a back-to-back and look really good doing it. Now we see if they can start to kind of piece things together over the next two or three weeks leading up to that stretch of three games in a week against the Rangers. And like you said, by March 19th, I think that's that's a good delineation date. We'll know exactly what this team is uh, and hopefully – they they've done enough between now and then to where we'll feel just a little bit better. Cause I do, I feel like this weekend was good, but nothing I'm, I'm planning the parade for yet. It was, Hey, you beat a team that you should have beaten in St. Louis. Um, you kind of had to beat them ugly in the end. And you, you did, you, you piled on against Tampa, which is great, but that's just one show it to me a couple times now. Thanks for a couple minutes today, Eric. Appreciate it, man. We'll catch up again later in the week. Okay. Looking forward to it. Awesome. Thanks. It's a shame they can't move the trade deadline back this year, even farther. Move it back to like March 20th and uh, let the Penguins figure out exactly what they are. Then again, maybe we know what they are and they've shown us. And this weekend against St. Louis and Tampa was more of mirage than what we got for the five or six weeks leading up. to it. I don't know. Again, we'll find out over the next couple of weeks. Great stuff with Tango today. We'll catch up with him again later in the week. Uh, Jordan DeFigio on the way in a few moments. But first, we got to get a Nashville perspective because so much has happened down there in the last couple of days. Who better to talk to than former member of the Fan Morning Show, former WTAE Channel 4 sportscaster, currently working down in Nashville, both on TV and radio. Our old friend JB, John Burton, joins me next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack has you covered with all the news and notes surrounding surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. JB. What's going on, Chris? Hey, how you doing, you big jack? doing all right. You know, go go down, get some... Isaac's chip chop ham, you know, I gotta give him a mom's house and get some golf hands, you know. And then I gotta go down through the Liberty Tubes, take a right, then I gotta go down about a quarter mile, then I gotta take a right at the church. Now it's the new church, not it's the old one. Not the old one. You don't the old want church to do that. Down. Remember when the church burnt down? I remember. It was sad. It was terrible. It was you used to have great fish and fries. My dad, there. And my stepdad's being all nebby in that. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah. That's not bad for probably not getting to do it all that often anymore. 
<laughs> yeah, man, it's been a, it's been over a decade since I left the bird. Can you believe that? I can't Chris? believe that. I can't. Yeah. I cannot believe that. Um, well, no, we were just keeping this in as the start to the conversation. John Burton, our good friend, formerly of the Fan Morning Show and WTAE Channel Four, now with News Channel Five and WNSR in Nashville, is with us. Follow him on Twitter. I'm sure a lot of you already do. At uh, John Burton Thirty Two. Uh, we go all the way back to our days at uh, 400 Ardmore Boulevard when you were at Channel 4. And right. I was uh, downstairs at 1250 ESPN. And you would, uh, it, well, I'm sorry, you would not call in. You would facilitate calls from people that sounded very famous who would call <laughs> in. <laughs> you know, yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, well, what would Mario Lemieux have to say? I'm sorry, what would Ace 66 have to say? If he were not being told to be a figurehead by John Henry and Fenway Sports Group, well, obviously, you know we have to play uh, better, better hockey. Uh, we have to make the playoffs. Uh, you know, really, no excuse if you have uh, Cindy Crosby and uh, and Gino Malkin to uh, not make the playoffs. And uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, play better uh, down the stretch. All right, <laughs> thanks, guys. <laughs> you got to throw. The- All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Oh, man. It works out that, that we're talking because the Pens are in Nashville getting ready to take on the Predators. Mm-hmm. And it's like everything has just been ripped up and thrown in the air down in Nashville in the last yeah. 24 hours. David Poyle has said, listen, I'm done. A quarter century on the gig has been enough. June 30th, he's done. July 1st, Barry Trotz will take over as GM. I mean – bang for the buck on his way out the door as a lot of people think he has fleeced Julian Brisbois in Tampa in taking <laughs> Tanner Janot for five draft picks, one in each round uh, over some mix of the next three drafts. Yeah, Janot had 24 goals last year, but just five this year. Um, I want to start, though, with Poyle and just what he has meant to hockey in Nashville. Um, I don't think anybody... You know, Nashville's a fun town. It's party city. We've all been there. We've all had a good time in Nashville. It's it's a it's a good NFL city. I mean, I think. Um, yeah. I think it yeah. may be a great MLB city someday. I know that's being talked about with yeah. expansion uh, kind of out on the horizon for MLB. Um, but it, I, I think the work of David Poyle over the last quarter century, like I said, has kind of made it a great hockey town too, hasn't it? You'd know better. Like you said, you've been there ten years now. You tell me, is Nashville? a great hockey city now because of what David Poyle has done with the Preds. Well, I would say that Nashville is a world-class hospitality and entertainment city. And when you have a good winning hockey club, that's located right on Broadway where all the action is, that that makes it that much better. And when you ask what David Poyle has meant to Nashville, I'll take it even further, Chris. He's meant a lot to this region here in the Southeast because when the first ownership group decided to take a chance and bring an NHL franchise to Nashville, Tennessee, the folks down here knew nothing about hockey. You know, this is, this is SEC football country and really the NFL with the Titans, they've only been here about, you know, 20 or so years. So, you know, but the SEC has been here forever. That's, you know, they, they live and breathe mm-hmm. college football down here. And Poyle understood when he got here in 1997 We have to educate the fans down here and let them know what a great sport hockey is before we can ask them to buy tickets and come to our games. Right. And so he was instrumental in doing that. He hired, you know, uh, the right people to go out into the community and educate people. Um, You know, guys like Pete Weber and Terry Crisp, who were the longtime broadcasters Mm -hmm. for, for Predators Hockey. And they would hold like, you know, hockey one-on-one sessions and, you know, like I said, get out in the community and educate people. This is offsides. This is a cross check. This is, you know what I mean? That kind of stuff, like basic hockey one-on-one. Um, but he spearheaded all that because, you know, David Poyle is a planner. He's a guy that understands that we have to build this brick by brick. So first you have to build a team, right? Then you have to make the team competitive. Then you have to make the playoffs. And then you have to make the playoffs on a consistent basis and then you got to have at least a couple of trips deep into the playoffs to where you can compete for a Stanley Cup. And David Poyle was he was the mastermind behind all that. So um, he is such an important sports figure in this region, let alone Nashville, let alone the state of Tennessee. It's almost hard to put into words what he's meant. And he's done it 
you know, the right way. And what I've always admired, Chris, about um, David Poyle is the fact that, you know, a lot of high ranking sports executives, they give you the company line, they BS you a little bit. Mm -hmm. David Poyle is the type of guy, if something didn't work, he'll be the first to step, step to the podium and say, you know what, we tried this. It didn't work. It's on me. I got to make it better and I'm going to work my butt off to do it. So yeah, he's, you know, he, this is, Aside from uh, the Predators possibly winning a Stanley Cup, this is the biggest day in Nashville Predators history, to be honest with you. Yeah, and, and that's what's, you know, he spoke with a kind of candor most of the time that, like, we became used to with Jim Rutherford when he was GM here in Pittsburgh. But JR was also likely to j go off and trade a Carl Hagelin on a Tuesday because the team didn't play well on Monday, right? <laughs> <laughs> Poyle, Poyle somehow kept his head about him and would would be open and honest and candid with the media and own up to his mistakes, like you're saying, just like Rutherford would do, but mm -hmm. never manage to lose sight of the game plan and the long-range plan. And I guess that's the question now is, are, are people in Nashville, hockey fans in Nashville, wondering, hmm, is Barry Trotz, for example, going to hold that same steady, firm line? And can we count on that? Because to your point, this will... He's the only GM the, the organization has ever known, Poyle. Right. So can they count on the same steady hand going forward at what is probably the most pivotal point in the franchise's history since expansion as they try to rebuild back towards being a Stanley Cup contender despite kind of just spinning the reels the last four or five years? Well, I want to speak to that point first, Chris, because you're 100% right, because when you talk about the fans, I think the fans, the real hardcore fans of the Nashville Predators – wanted this to happen a few years ago because you're right. You know, they've been spinning their wheels. They made the great cup run in 2017. They won the president's cup in 2018, but they haven't been out of the first round of the playoffs since 2018. Mm -hmm. And after a while, this fan base, you know, this, this is what I felt. I felt this fan base was growing a little apathetic towards this team. It's like, you know, okay, great. We can make the playoffs, but you know, what's the point, right? right. So, when you bring in Barry Trotz, I mean, it's the great unknown. He's never been a you know general manager before. He's a beloved figure here. Obviously, he coached here for 15 years. He was the first head coach that the Nashville Predators ever had. He, and the one thing about Barry Trotz, we know this. He loves this city, and he loves this organization. And he'll work his butt off to make it work. And the good thing is David Poyle is going to stay on as, you know, a special advisor, you know, consultant, that kind of thing. And if Barry Trotz is smart, and I think he is, he's going he's gonna to be leaning on David Poyle a lot, especially in the first couple of years until he gets to feel what being a general manager from a day-to-day -day perspective is going to be like. I think from a PR standpoint, you know, the fans love the hire. Oh, it's Trotzy. Trotzy's back. We love Trotzy. Right. But we don't know what we don't know. We, we don't know. I, we have no idea what he's going to be like as a GM because he's never done it before. You know, a lot of the things you're talking about there, too, I don't want to say Penguin fans aren't apathetic, but, like, I'm sure you've heard attendance numbers are down at PPG. Yeah. Um, people are tired of first-round exits. Yep. Uh, granted, there's a lot more tradition here than there is right. in Nashville necessarily, but still, like, you've got an aging core. It's not quite as old in Nashville, obviously. It's four or five years younger than the aging core here in Pittsburgh, but it's mm -hmm. similar in that how do you continue to build around Forsberg, Johansson, Yossi, Duchesne, and right. they're all in their late 20s, most most of, the, most of them early 30s. And hey, is, is this the right group to build around? Have we brought in the right pieces around them? And, and for the most part, it looks like the answer has been no, they haven't brought in yep. the right pieces. And now it's trying to rebuild on the fly while remaining competitive. And it makes me wonder, is, is this Tanner Janot deal? Look, I... I I understand Tampa is all in on now. So they're willing to overpay. Yeah, they're like, they're, like the, they're like the LA Rams. They're like, screw the draft picks. Yes, we're, we're I, I, I made that analogy earlier. <laughs> F them picks, baby. We want to parade. So, right. And I get that from Tampa's perspective, right? And and I understand Julian Breesball had a, a great quote this morning about, you know, overvaluing sort of nameless, faceless draft picks that aren't going to do anything for my team right now. That being said, if the Penguins see themselves – in a similar mold or cut from a similar cloth right now as teams that are retooling on the fly, like the caps, like the Preds, you know, is, is the Tanner Janot deal maybe a blueprint for how you can find a team that is all in on now talk to the, talk them into taking, you know, 
I don't know who that would be from the Penguins. I don't know if anybody's look. I would say nobody in their right mind is giving up five draft picks for maybe a Danton Heinen right now. But I didn't think anybody would give up five draft picks for Tanner Janot, for God's sake. Right. So, well, I you mean, know, you know, is it a I'll blueprint this, of sorts? Yeah, I'll say this, Chris. I mean, the Lightning are getting potentially a really good player. I mean, you've seen Tanner Janot play. Mm-hmm. He reminds me a lot of Ryan Malone. He's a little bit bigger than Ryan. But that classic, rugged, two-way, 200-foot forward that will, you know – throw his body around, but he has right. good touch around the net. He can score. He can set other guys up. He's a truly skilled player. Now, his offensive production, as you said, um, dropped off dramatically this year. But, you know, I think that's the way a team like the Predators are going to have to build. If you get a haul like the Predators got, you know, and you get the picks right, you know, you have an opportunity to be really, really good going forward. For me, you know, what I, what I was uh, going to try to uh, uh, allude to earlier is just the fact that I applaud the fact that the Predators are embracing the rebuild and, and, and realizing that, you know, it's time to go in a different direction because Poyle a couple of years ago used a term that, that gets thrown back in his face a lot, you know, competitive rebuild. I'm of the belief, Chris, I don't know where you stand on this, but I'm of the belief that competitive rebuilds more often than not don't work. I think he either got to go and, you know, now, my football team, I'm from New York. I'm a Giants fan. Somehow right. they were able to do a competitive rebuild. But that's the exception that proves the rule, that it's, you know, very difficult to be done. So now when you look at the core players, right, they signed Philip Forsberg to a long-term deal. Yossi's been here. You know, he's making big money. Johansson's making big money. You know, they traded away P.K. Subban a couple of years ago so they could have money to sign Matt Duchesne. And those guys have been good at times, but they haven't been – They've been good individually, Chris, but they haven't been good as a team. I mean, you look at last year's team, right? Two 40-goal scorers, Duchesne and Forsberg. A Vesna Trophy uh, finalist in Soros. You know, Roman Yossi had one of the best offensive years a defenseman has had since the early 2000s. He had 96 points. Yet they barely made the playoffs and got swept out of there by the Colorado Avalanche just as quickly as they got, got there. So the individual talents are there, but it hasn't come together as a team to where they could be a high, a mid to higher seed in the Western conference. And I have to worry about, you know, barely making the playoffs every year. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's, if it's, you know, how the team is put together. I don't know the answer to that, but it hasn't been working a few years in the last few years, I should say. And I like the fact that they're finally saying, okay, this is, this is our time. We, we, we have to go in a different direction, but now you wonder are guys like Yossi, Duchesne, Johansson, whoever, Matthias Ekholm, are, are they going to raise their hand and say, hey, this isn't what I signed up for. I don't want right. any part of the rebuild. You know, if you can get something for me, you know, you may want to explore that type of thing. So this is going to be a very, very difficult rebuild, and it could be a while. And you hope that Trotz is, is, understands that. I, I believe he does, but it's going to be an uphill climb, I think, going forward, at least in the immediate future, say, two to three years. And the number of parallels between the Preds and the Pens right now, again, I understand it's a different kind of core that we're talking about. Right. A little older, a little more talented. Yeah, we don't, we don't more... have two, you know, we don't have yeah. two bullfight <laughs> Hall of Famers. You know? <laughs> we got some good guys, but we, we don't have Crosby and Malkin, bro. <laughs> little, I said a little different, JB, a little different. Look up, look up, hey, I got, I got to challenge you on something. What are you doing getting on the air with Pony, giving, whispering sweet nothings in his ears about David Long and Bud Dupree and all these guys that the Steelers should supposedly have an eye on. I'm telling. I think David Long would be a nice fit. I'm telling you. Okay. He's he's a smaller inside linebacker, but I'm telling you, he's physical. He's tough. He plays with an edge. Like he thinks he's six four, two eighty. You know, and he. I mean, he. I think he'd be a nice fit in the Titans defense. Well, P- Pony's uh, going to have. Pony's, Pony's, Pony's going to have both of them watch. rooming with Kenny Pickett by the end of the day. What's that? Tony's going to have both of them rooming with Kenny Pickett uh, well, in, the, in the East Wing of the Hall of Fame by the end of the day. Exactly. I mean, you know, Pony, Pony, Pony is the ultimate. Uh, he's, he's. I tell you what, he grew up a couple towns over from me in upstate New York, and let's just say he didn't grow up a Steeler fan, but he is one now. So. Oh, it's the same way he's trans. He's somehow transformed from a a Jim Beheim loyalist to all of a sudden he's he's all ride or die on Pitt too. All yeah, right, he's up, he's, yeah, he's unreal. Uh, I'm going to let you run, but with, with that being said. Uh, how are things going in Nashville? You've settled in down there. Like you said, you've been there a decade now, man. And I can't believe it because it feels like just yesterday. I, I'm i technically 
following somewhat in your footsteps and then I'm on the fan morning show now. We've got we've yeah. got we've got a small club. There's very few of us. That's but, right. <laughs> but but we 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 are loyal to you, one another. You had to put up with Colony every morning, not me. <laughs> right. You, the, where do you think all, I I didn't have all these gray hairs last time we talked, man. <laughs> oh, but well, first of all, thank you for asking. Yeah, things are great, man. Things are great down here in Nashville. Uh past a decade. It's the longest I've ever uh, been anywhere and doing the, picked up the radio a few years, uh, about three years ago, but doing the TV steadily. And um, it's been great having a lot of fun. Um, the city's amazing. It is really, I get treated here better than I deserve. I can tell you that it's uh, I have a, you know, I, lead, I lead an active social life and I have a lot of fun. I'm a work hard, play hard guy by nature. But what I love most is the fact that every now and then I still get a lot of people tweeting at me saying, Hey, we miss you in Pittsburgh. And that kind of, that means the world to me because like I was telling Pony the other day, when you come to Pittsburgh to cover sports and you're not from Pittsburgh, you have to earn the fans trust and respect because Mm -hmm. it's, you know, you're from there. You get, it's very provincial. It's like, it's, it's us against everybody. And it's basically like, if you're going to cover our teams, you better be all in with them. And and Uh I remember asking a guy one day, I was like, what do you want me to do? Go on the air and cry after the Steelers lose a big game. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, yeah, that's yeah. what I want. I walked, in, I walked into Perrani's in, in, in Monroeville one day to watch a Giants-Jets preseason game on Monday Night Football. <laughs> like, it was still warm out. I think I, uh-huh. I think I might have thrown on a Giants sweatshirt or hat or whatever. And then I walked in, and I was 41 years old at the time. And this kid, he couldn't have been more than 21. He gets in my face. He's like, what's all this Giants crap you're wearing? You're in the burn. Like, he wanted to, like, people wanted to challenge me to a fight. But, you know. <laughs> That's the passion of the Pittsburgh sports fan. It is, right. it is, it is Pittsburgh versus everybody. And I dug it, man. And I, and a big part of me misses it. Well, yeah, you're, you're always going to be missed here, man. You look great uh, as you always have. So it was yeah, awesome bro. to catch up with you, man. Thanks for doing it. And we'll, we'll have to do it again soon. Chris, anytime. Love to come on, man. Always love catching up with JB, man. You, you heard him do a little uh, Ace 66 Mario. You heard him do... His classic Yinzer accent. There would be nothing better back in the day when I was a producer producing for Guy Junker and Eddie Crow than Eddie Crow, lunatic that he is, wandering in, lunatic that he was and still is, with a script uh, for one of the skits with a funny voice that JB would do. I mean, oh God, great guy. Good to see that everything's going well for him down in Nashville, even if it's a little more in flux with the Predators and David Boyle stepping down and a franchise that's in what feels like as much transition as the Penguins might be in a few years. But yes, the talent level definitely different. Uh, How does a Penguins super fan feel about this team after this weekend? Lucky enough for us, we have a Penguins super fan with some Nashville ties as well from the Helmet Hair and Yin's Hers podcast. Penn super fan Jordan DeFigio next on Fifth Avenue Faceoff. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. It's time. It's time to hit the ice, Penguin fans. Chris Mack had you covered with all the news and notes surrounding, surrounding your Penguin. Only on 5th Avenue Faceoff. Welcome back in 5th Avenue Faceoff as the Pens enjoy the spoils of what was a nice weekend. Rare we get to see them win them back-to-backs like that, but they did it and get ready to head down south for three big games and the trade deadline. Happy to be joined by the host of Helmet Hair, Yins Hers, the podcast, as well as Penguin Superfan, 
Jordan DeFigio. Is it DeFigio or DeFigio? I want to make sure I say DeFigio. it DeFigio. Right. Yes. DeFigio. Okay. Yep. All right. I want to make sure I have that right. Follow yeah. her on Twitter, Instagram, at Fidge Newton, F-I-D-G-E Newton. Um, thanks for doing this because you are one of those people. Like, I think back to when the Crosby-Malkin years first started to materialize and I was a young man without all these gray hairs on the side of my head <laughs> and like how cool it was to see the community of Penguin fans spawn itself online you know you think back mm-hmm. to like things like the pens blog which was a big deal yeah. back in the day um and to see that community grow and come together online and now in this generation it feels like you're one of the 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 leaders of that i don't want to call it a movement it's not that it's just you being yourself online on social media but this super fan movement for lack of a better way to put it so um what i guess let's start here What's your background that led you to becoming a Penguins and Steelers super fan? Well, first of all, it's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Uh, I have loved Pittsburgh sports for the entirety of my life. Uh, So to be grouped in with with people who are leading the the charge of online fans for the the city is just is honestly an honor. I, like I just said, I grew up watching the Steelers, the Penguins, the Pirates, my dad and my grandfather, both huge fans. So they kind of raised me up in that. And I think that in Pittsburgh, there is a certain level of you're born into it. If if you mm-hmm. have that bent towards competitive things, then you just automatically, you love the sports here and the culture and it's really special and really unique and it's just always been a part of my life and I've always followed and enjoyed. So, so what, hello, Phoebe, how are you? Oh, <laughs> I appreciate her saying Going hello. Wild. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. What takes you then from being uh, a fan to saying, you know what, I'd like to take it to the next level and develop some level of online presence because like, uh, again, I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm aging myself here. But like when I decided to get on Twitter, it was because it had just come about and I was working mm-hmm. in the media at the time. So I, I don't want to say I was forced to or I had to, but it was just the smart thing to do when yeah, you don't right. have to do it for your job, when it's just a way of connecting with other people. Mm-hmm. What made you say, hey, you know what, I, I really want to dive into this and become someone who sort of builds again, I hate to put it this way because it sounds cheesy, a network of people Mm -hmm. that I connect with who are like-minded. There's something really cool about being part of a bigger thing. And I think that's that's a big component of why people follow sports to begin with is that camaraderie, the, the connection to other people. And it's sort of, it started out casually enough. I was on... Twitter and Instagram, just because most people are these days, social media is a pretty big part of day-to-day life. So I, I started just casually when I was living in Nashville, posting these different things in my stories about frustrating things that were happening. That was the era of Antonio Brown kind of going off the rocker and McCutcheon being traded away. There were a lot of very emotional things happening that were kicking up visceral reactions in me. So uh, the only thing that I knew to do because I was living somewhere else was just put it out there. And it was cathartic for me because it gave me an outlet to just vent and share whatever I was thinking on those topics. But what I found interesting was that the majority of people who actually responded to those things were people who didn't care about sports at all. And they, they all commented on how they, they loved how much I cared and also felt like they were part of it, even though they had no idea what I was talking about. (laughs) So that was kind of my foot in the door of thinking this, this could be a potential not platform, but thing to build on because mm-hmm. I had never really thought about creating anything out of my love of sports. It just was part of me. And that was that. So how do you go then from just looking for an outlet to sort of find other 
uh, Yinzer sports fans uh, mm-hmm. online. So you have somebody you can, you know, also see is cathartically getting things out about whatever it may be, the pirates breaking the team mm-hmm. up after 15 or AB acting like a knucklehead or <laughs> whatever it may be. Um, how do you go from that to, Hey, Oh yeah. Podcast. Sure. I'd love to tell people what I think in addition to typing it out 140 or 280 characters at a time. Mm, so long story, a little less long. <laughs> I, I do music as well. And I have some just, you know, very, uh, basic equipment to software to record and a decent microphone. And I got that to do different demos and tracks and just get down ideas. So in 2020, when the world shut down, right. I, like a lot of people had tons of time on my hands and podcasting was about sports was always kind of something that was in the back of my mind, like maybe someday, but not today. I don't have time. I don't want to risk it. Who would care? All of the different things that you think that cycle through your brain when you're considering starting something new. But when there was literally nothing to do, I, the, the fear kind of dissipated and I felt this overwhelming sense of what do I have to lose it if if nothing else it just gives me it it helps me learn how to use this software a little bit better I can be become a better storyteller in general Mm -hmm. and then best case scenario people listen they care it turns into something cool and that was kind of where where that came from and where it uh where it's gone well, and if nothing else, like you said earlier, it's it's catharsis, right? It's it's a chance to. It, 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 it's funny. My mother in law used to say this all the time. She's like, you know, you get to go to work and talk and uh, and get mad and let everything out that you're thinking about these teams that you're absolutely obsessed with. It's basically your therapy. Like you're, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, you have a hell of a point there. That's that's true. It is. It's therapy. It's catharsis. Yeah. Getting everything mm-hmm. out. So that's a, that's a really good point. So that which brings us to. Today, it is Monday, February 27th, because people may download this and listen to it later. Um, In fact, that's my hope. Um, So (laughs) that being said, we're coming off of the Pens winning back-to-backs for what feels like the first time in a year. Um, Right. (laughs) um, A a huge win over a really good Tampa Bay Lightning team in a huge way with the half-dozen unanswered goals after nearly letting one in St. Louis slip away. But nonetheless, it's a good weekend. So as a fan, how do you walk away after we were ready to like burn the whole thing to the ground on, on <laughs> Friday after the loss to Edmonton? All of us, every yeah. single one of us was ready mm-hmm. to just trade them all. Um, how do you feel about it now? How much of you uh, allowed yourself to come back around to uh, maybe they're not the worst thing in the world? Um, I would say I would say that I'm not quite I was never at that point where I was like, they're the worst thing in the world. I always kind of felt like they have the pieces there. They're just really struggling. They're overthinking everything. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we saw this weekend from them more so in the Tampa Bay game than the St. Louis game, because that was a lot closer. They stopped it from what I could see. They stopped overthinking everything. They weren't making extra passes when they didn't have to. They were just shooting the puck. They were getting in front of the net. They were doing all the things that they hadn't been doing for forever. And they were seeing results from it, especially that bottom line, having Teddy Bluger score, having Mm -hmm. Drew O'Connor score. That was massive for them and for that that boost in momentum that they needed because the the fourth line has been playing relatively well. They've they've defended well, they've forechecked well, they've been all over the ice. And uh to see them rewarded for that was good. However, however, that third line is still rough. Uh, what do you do with that? You need some guys to come in, maybe just one guy come in, shake things mm-hmm. up. And I, I just don't trust that they're going to keep playing that way. I feel like they're going to revert back to the, let's just see how many times we can pass the puck in front of the net before we can get it to the net. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous but I'm a little bit more hopeful than I've been in a while because they've, they played well against two. Well, maybe again, not St. Louis so much, but the Tampa Bay lightning, they played really well against them. 
And sometimes that's exactly what you need to build on. Just not sure if they're going to build on it. Right. That's the question now as they head, head to Nashville. So you're wearing, I'm looking at your, you're wearing your predator's hat. What is this? Mm -hmm. Is this like, it's a, it's a free hat. I got it for free because <laughs> a Christmas, I, my mom got me a Chris Letang Jersey for Christmas and it took forever to get here. So the company was like, take a free hat. And it's, that's what it is. <laughs> that's okay. Hey, if I, I got plenty of free stuff that I, I wear just cause it's free stuff. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. You gotta take advantage of it. Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to put you, I'm going to put Jordan DeFigio in Ron Hextall's seat. Ron Hextall has been thrown out the window and he had a terrible fall. He's been in an accident. He's going to be okay. He's going to survive, but he's in the hospital, unable to use a phone or talk or speak or even text over oh. the next week. So you're in charge now. Bummer. Because okay. yeah, <laughs> you seem really broken up about that hypothetical Oops. there. <laughs> I put you in charge. What are you doing okay. between now and three o'clock on Friday? Something, anything. <laughs> I'm like, there aren't very many big names left because I feel like a lot of other teams in mm -hmm. our division or our conference have, have swept them up They're They've all kind of been taken off. And regardless, we don't have that much cap space to work with anyway. Kasperi Kapanen being picked up freed some much needed space, but I, I would be looking into who can we get to center that third line? Because right now, I really do think if they're they're not going to be able to find a goaltender to fix this situation because either Tristan Jari is going to stay healthy or he isn't. It, and that is kind of going to make or break this season in my mind. So okay. don't, don't go wild trying to get a backup goaltender just in case Jari gets hurt. I think that if he can stay healthy – DeSmith is a very serviceable backup and right. ideally going down the stretch, you won't need him. So if that is what I'm anticipating being the case and understanding if, if Jari gets hurt, we're probably, our season is over. Right. I would be looking into the market like, okay, may, we're probably not going to be able to get anybody to take on the cap hit of Jeff Carter but you never know, because I didn't think that anybody was going to take on Kapanen's cap hit. So yeah. I would, I would be doing, I would be making as many phone calls as possible, seeing who we can move to get somebody else in. And again, not a big name. We don't need a big name. Our top two lines have been performing very well. All we need is maybe a depth piece or two more than we currently have, because I trust the fourth line. It's just that third line eh, eh, eh. and like looking at the, looking at the rosters from the back-to-back -back cup runs with, you know, the exception of the, the all-star third line that we had of Benino, mm -hmm. Kessel, Hagelin, like the, the other guys who were the depth pieces were relatively inexpensive, but they all played really well. And right. I, I'm not super I haven't been that in tune with who other teams are kind of shopping around, but I would definitely be on the phone from now until 3 p.m. on Thursday, seeing who I could get to to just mix up that third line because they need they need some new life and some new energy, and they're just not going to get it if if Hextall sits on his hands. So before I let you run, uh, where can people find you? Where can they follow you? Where can they keep up with what you're up to these days? I am in most places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Fidge Newton. I have my Helmet Hair podcast. That's at Helmet Hair Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can you can listen to episodes wherever you find your podcasts. Mm -hmm. So very easy to find. It's just Helmet Hair. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm primarily on the sports train on Twitter. So that's um, where you can find me. All right. Well, we're going to keep up with you because I think it's wildly entertaining. Uh, um, the Super Bowl party looked fantastic. I would oh, have it was had, a blast. It was I, a blast. <laughs> I would have had to roll out of there. You would have had to just push yeah, me down the steps. We all did. Yeah, because yeah, I wouldn't have been able to walk out. Um, keep up the great work. Uh, I think you uh, you do a great job of developing what is a 
fun atmosphere on social media. All too many times people just want to be angry, just to be angry online. Mm -hmm. And I get the yeah. sense that it's uh, that you're about a whole lot more than just that. It's about, like I said earlier at the start, developing that, that community, that connection online. So I, anytime there are positive people doing that, it's a good thing. Uh, and I want to let them know that it's appreciated. So Jordan, thanks for the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And I just, I'm really appreciative that you asked me to do this. As I was saying, I just love the positivity that Jordan brings to social media. We all like to, to moan and bitch and complain about our teams. Uh, rightfully so, right? Our teams do something stupid uh, or they lose a game and it breaks our heart. And we get mad sometimes. That's how we deal with it. But it's good to see that there's still positivity out there uh, in how we connect with other fans and that it's not just everybody being big mad online. Great to talk to Jordan. Uh, we'll do another edition in just a couple of days after the Nashville game ahead of the Pens trip to Tampa, who they just handled at home over the weekend. How do they handle the lightning down in uh, the sun coast of Florida? And then it's the deadline and then it's Florida. Everything's coming hot and heavy at this point. So how do the Pens handle it over the next couple of weeks? Hopefully it's a whole lot more of what we saw against the lightning and the blues and a whole lot less of what we saw last week uh, against the Oilers, for example, but we'll be back to break it all down the Nashville game and look ahead to the next matchup with the lightning on the next episode of fifth Avenue Faceoff. Don't forget you got to subscribe inside your odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts download listen rate and review we appreciate all of it as we roll along chug towards the trade deadline and down the stretch run it depends chris mack thank you for joining me here on another episode of fifth avenue face off